Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Well, I guess it depends on where you're listening, but uh, this time of year, you know, a lot of people are asking the question, what is the reason for the season? And I thought it might be a good moment to talk through this idea. Is Christmas Christian? Is it pagan? Is it, you know, what is it about? And uh, I found something pretty interesting I want to read to you. Uh, And I'm going to read actually from Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 gives a story of really what the Christian side of things would call the reason of Christmas. Obviously, uh, if you do a little history on Christianity, you'll realize that in the 300s, paganism and Christianity kind of had a little marriage, and and uh, that's a different study. Hope you'll watch our Love and War series to find out more about that. But most holidays today are pagan. Paganism is kind of nature worship, worship the creation and the creator, So what do you do this time of year? I'm a big believer. Celebrate all the things that are good, spending time with family and being generous, sacrificial and giving some gifts and also to celebrate the story we're going to talk about. But to be fair, all the Santa and all these different things, they are pagan. So that's a different study. The commercialism would have us love and and believe and materialism would have us celebrate. But all right, so if you've ever been curious of what is really this this story of Jesus' birth all about, I'm going to go into uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're just going to talk through a little bit. Hopefully you'll learn a few things. I know I have, and I've really enjoyed some of the things that I've learned. So here we go, Matthew chapter 2. Here we go. I'm just going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to talk a little bit through this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We usually think there were three because we read about three gifts, but we don't actually ever read that three. So there could have been a number of them. Uh, Asking the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Other commentaries describe that star actually as angels representing a star. Either way, this was their sign and their guide to be led to this king of the Jews. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now you think about this. God's people for thousands of years have been looking forward to since Eden, since Jesus himself told Adam and Eve, one day I'm going to lay down my life for you so that I will save you from death so that you can live forever once again. And at the very time of his coming, Jerusalem is troubled. And I think some modern application there is there are talk there is talk in the world today about the second the return of Jesus a second time. And I just want to ask does that trouble you? And if so, I think it's okay, but at least it's good to recognize that because it shouldn't trouble us, but it troubled Jerusalem. And then we read some of these things. When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, and then they described some details here. 
Verse seven, we jump in. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Verse nine, when they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So this star was really their guiding point. And then it gets interesting. So they come and they worship and they bring all these treasures, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The more I've studied it, the more I'm convinced the gold was for their soon escape to Egypt, where they needed wealth to basically set up something there. And then the frankincense and myrrh, the more I've learned about those, those seem to be their pharmacy. They're huge antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral properties. Uh, as you can hear, there's probably a rooster screaming in the background. That's, uh, that's free sound effects for us. Verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream. This is where it gets interesting with all these uh, dreams we're about to see. There's four dreams that take place in the next few verses. These wise men are warned in a dream. Remember Herod had said, hey, when you find the king, let me know where he's at so that I can go worship him. We, we know that that's not at all what Herod intended to do based on the next few verses of the story. But it basically goes like this. They're warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They depart for their own country another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. A lot of people don't know Jesus, though he was born in Bethlehem, grows up in Egypt in a totally foreign land. Stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So this is in a dream. Verse 14, when he arose of Matthew two, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying out of Egypt, I called my son. Verse 16, then, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men was exceedingly angry. He sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts. So this mass infanticide, basically of, of infants up to the age of two years old, he kills everyone. Kind of like they'd done in Egypt, trying to destroy Moses hundreds of years earlier. Interesting how Jesus flees into Egypt to escape this. From two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So they'd started their journey two years prior. So when they meet Jesus, he's not a baby. He's two years old, at least. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what, the, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. I'm going to jump down a little bit. Verse 19, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. So again, appearing to Joseph in Egypt in a dream, telling him a message, arise, take the young child and his mother, go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Now here's what's interesting. Since eternity passed, this idea of God creating earth, humans, and literally becoming one of us and laying down himself and his life for us. Seems like you'd have plenty of time to plan. Like everything would line up. But as we learn in scripture, there is a war. There is a controversy. And in this controversy, Lucifer is also planning things. So though this angel is sent to Joseph in Egypt, take Mary, take Jesus, go back to Israel. Listen to what happens next. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. You'd think, okay, all is well. Verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, 
he was afraid to go there. And being warned again, look at, look at this, and being warned by God in a dream. So another dream. And think about that. That's just a lesson that God doesn't always reveal everything at once. He, he literally reveals in a dream to Joseph, go back to Israel. Joseph gets to Israel, hears that Herod's son is on the throne, and then he decides, well, and then another dream comes. And this angel again warns him, okay, then turn aside over here to the region of Galilee. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. You know, this time of year, uh, we, we celebrate a lot of things, at least here in the United States, and few of them are the humility, the sacrifice of the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, laying down everything, all his riches, all his power to literally save humanity. And, you know, we celebrate a holiday of the pagan god Tammuz. If anybody wants to study that more, that's an interesting study. But really, that, that's what Christmas has been built around, uh, a pagan holiday. And we've really turned it into a selfish holiday where we make lists of things we want. Uh, and I'm not saying it's anything wrong with giving gifts, but if you really think about this holiday, you know, most of our retail and commerce in this country are built around this holiday. Many businesses will live and die by this holiday. And it's on us to figure out how do we help people understand the real reason for this season. And for me, it's finding a way to go out of your way to be sacrificial, generous with those who are in need of love and seeing of something they, they aren't necessarily owed or maybe they don't even want, but yet they're offered this gift. And if you think about it, that really is the idea of what Jesus was saying. Uh, he offers himself at this very point in time. He doesn't have to do it. Uh, honestly, as we look at his people, they're not really making lists of this is what we want. We want a king. In fact, we learn kind of the opposite. Uh, we want a king to lead us into armies, not one who would lay up himself and be the sacrifice to uh, save all of mankind. So totally missing the boat. And today, arguably, many people are missing the boat. And I've been guilty of that, too. So as you celebrate this time, this week, this reason for the season, I want to encourage you and challenge you Find a way to let people know how much you love them. Find a way to look to this story that we find in Matthew 2 and other places in Scripture that is literally the beautiful example of going out of your way, giving of a gift, in this case Jesus giving everything of himself, so that the lives of others are bettered, that are, they're blessed, they're improved, that without that gift they would never be the same. And you will begin to experience that joy of giving that is the contagious secret sauce of the gospel. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about peace and Jesus, this Prince of Peace. And uh, I'll admit, it'll be a kind of a hard sermon because as we start the new year, this idea of Jesus bringing peace, it sounds so fanciful and it sounds so nice but having peace in your life is one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But it's one of the greatest desires all of us have to be at peace with God and to be at peace with one another. But if you go into most homes in the holidays, strangely, you find tension and you find stress and you find animosity and resentment and grief and guilt and, 
anger and all these different things. So we're going to really hone in on what is this idea Jesus talks about as being the prince of peace? And why is he so adamant in his very first sermon that blessed are the peacemakers? So I hope you have a wonderful holiday, a a wonderful Christmas. Celebrate the real reason for this season. And we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.